Genesis 37, if you want to turn there, uh, Genesis 37, and we are going to, uh, this is the final section of the Pentateuch, uh, just a quick uh, reminder, um, I guess, let's make sure we're all on the same page, the Pentateuch is the first five um, books of the Old Testament, uh, pent, pente um, is five, and tukos is scrolls, and so these are the first five books of the Bible, sometimes called the Torah, and uh, we are looking at the first of those five Genesis, and we will conclude that uh, this morning, at least that is the plan. Quite a story, um, Genesis 37 through 50. Um, lots of lots of fun narratives, uh, interesting narratives, even a pretty odd narrative or two um, in this section. Uh, just a quick reminder by way of review, um, we have divided Genesis into four sections. This is the fourth. The first section was what we called the prehistory or the sovereign call of God. I'm using, uh, this is Walter Brueggemann's outline and And he um, divides Genesis into four sections about the call of God. And so that was the the prehistory or the sovereign call of God uh, takes us through chapter 11 and really tells the story of the initial creation, the the fall, the flood. And then we did the Abraham narrative, which Brueggemann called the embraced call of God. That's when God called Abraham and said, I want to make a great nation of you. And, of course, then with Abraham was his son Isaac. And then we spent a couple of weeks talking about the Jacob narrative, some great stories with Jacob. Um, And Brueggemann calls this the conflicted call of God. And so now we are in the fourth section. This is the Joseph story, the Joseph narrative um, that Brueggemann titles the hidden call of God because it's, uh, it's, it's a call of God that seems to unfold slowly. Joseph knows it, but it seems like nobody else knows it for a long time. And that's the story that we are going to embark upon this morning. Ten sections in this teaching, uh, but we'll move through it pretty rapidly. A lot of this is very familiar material to, to many of you who have read the Bible through or read Genesis through. Uh, or been in Sunday school. Many of these stories are are Sunday school stories, but uh, we just want to kind of have fresh eyes and uh, make sure that we understand how this fits with the rest of the Old Testament story. So we begin with um, the, the Joseph just introducing him in chapter 37. Let's read the first couple of verses. Now Jacob, and of course that is the, the father here, Jacob dwelt in the land where his father Isaac was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old. So this story starts when Joseph is 17, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Keep in mind, that um, And it's interesting that this text actually calls uh, Zilpah and Bilhah wives. They were actually handmaidens of the two wives, which were Rachel and Leah. But um, Joseph is out with the brothers, these four brothers that would have been the sons of 
Bilhah and Zilpah would have been Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Those would have been the four sons. And Joseph is 17 years old. And the text says that he brings back to his father a bad report. I I think we can understand that to be he was tattling on his older brothers. All right. So he came back to his dad and said, Dad, those four guys aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, He brings a bad report to his father. What exasperates this whole situation is verse 3. His father loved him already more than the rest of his children because he was the son of his old age. He he only had one son after Joseph. That was Benjamin. um, But his favorite son... Uh, Jacob's favorite son was Joseph, and he had prepared, as the text says, that tunic or that coat of many colors. Now, if you want to read a manual on bad parenting, you will want to read really the story of Genesis. There is some really bad parenting that goes on. We know that this having a favorite uh, came naturally. Um, um, Isaac had a favorite, and it was Jacob, and Jacob had a favorite, and it was Joseph. Joseph and Benjamin um, were the two younger ones, sons of his old age, and and they were kind of like um, that younger, spoiled, you know, when parents maybe have children, and then there's a long gap before they have um, other children, and they kind of parent those younger children differently. Um, Now, please don't repeat this to my parents or to my sister, but my brother and I, Mark and I, we, we were older, and then there was a gap of about six years, and then Larry and Amy came along. And I'm telling you, they got to do things that Mark and I would have never, ever been able to do. All right? I'm just telling you. That's, so um, now they, they, they disciplined, I suppose, all of us the same. My mom to this day tells me she wishes she hadn't spanked me as often as she did. And, and others say you should have spanked him more often. So... Uh, She says that only because I don't think she spanked the other two as much and she feels kind of guilty for that. But anyway, this is kind of like that younger, uh, spoiled second family, if you will. And because of that, in verse 4, the brothers, they, they grew envious. They hated Joseph because he was clearly his father's favorite. Now, if you're your father's favorite and your brothers hate you, you're not going to make things better when you go home and tattle on him. And that's exactly what Joseph did. He went home and he tattled on his brothers. Now, to make things even worse, you know this story, he had a couple of dreams. And he was naive enough, and I hope you don't mind me calling Joseph dumb. I think he was dumb enough at 17 to tell his brothers these dreams that clearly put them underneath him. In verse number 8, Uh, Let let me read. Let's just read beginning in verse number five. Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream, which I have dreamed. He goes on, tells them the dream. We were binding sheaves in the field and my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. All right. Why in the world would you tell your brothers who already hate you that you had a dream that their sheaves bowed down to yours? But he did it in verse 8. They said, are you going to reign over us or will you have dominion over us? 
and they hated him even more for his words. He also had a second dream that the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars, okay, he had 11 brothers, sun and moon, maybe would be um, father and mother, um, and of course his mother was already passed, his mother would have been Rachel, but sun, moon, 11 stars bowed down to him, and um, once again, the brothers said, you're you're crazy, and um, they hated him even more. And even his father, Jacob, rebuked him for um, what he had said in sharing those dreams with his brothers. We get to verse 18, um, and he goes on a little trip uh, looking for his brothers. Um, he, he goes to uh, Dothan, verse 18, and they saw him afar off. This is chapter 37, 18 even before he came near them, and they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, look, the dreamer is coming. And they said, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we'll just say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But now notice Reuben heard it, and he delivered them out of their hands and said, let's not kill him. Reuben said, let's not shed any blood. Let's just cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness. Don't lay a hand on him that he might... His plan was to deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it's a, Reuben just kind of saying, let's just mess with him a little bit. Let's scare him, throw him in a pit. And Reuben's plan was, I'll come back later, get him out, take him home. And Reuben didn't want to kill him. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped the Joseph of his tunic, tunic of many colors that was on him. And they took him and they cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal, and then they lifted their eyes, and apparently Reuben is gone at this point. You'll notice why in a moment. They sat down to eat a meal. They lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm and myrrh, on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, Judah, that's going to be important. Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? In other words, let's make some money off this dude. So come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he's our brother and our flesh and his brothers listen. So Judah said, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. All right. And we can make some money on this. So the Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. So he goes to Egypt and then Reuben returns to the pit. And indeed, Joseph was not in the pit, and he tears his clothes, and he returns to his brothers and said, The lad's no more, and where shall I go? And so they took Joseph's tunic, they killed a kid of the goats, and they dipped the tunic in the blood, and they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph has been torn into many pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and he mourned for his son. And all of his sons and all of his daughters rose to comfort him, but he did not want to be comforted. He said, I'm going to go down to the grave mourning. And his father wept. The Midianites had sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. And so uh, he is sold into slavery. Um, I do want to. I want to just pause here for just a moment before we get chapter thirty-eight. 
And, and while the text does not say, please notice who the ringleader was in selling him. It was Judah. And um, I think it, it's speculative, but I think it, it comes with some uh, sense of, um, we have some confidence that it was probably Judah then that developed the cover-up plan. And the cover-up plan was to take his coat of many colors, kill an animal, put blood on it. And then Judah, in my mind, Judah is probably the one who holds the clothes up to the dad and says, this kind of looks like Joseph's coat, is it? And his dad said, it's clear that a wild beast has killed him. So, um, and the reason I think that it was Judah is the very next story um, has an interesting little twist. Before we go back to the Joseph narrative, um, there is this one inserted story, chapter 38, that interrupts the Joseph narrative. Uh, This is probably not one. I I have preached this a couple of times about this a couple of times in 30-some years Most would not tackle this on a Sunday morning. If you don't know the story, you'll know why in a moment. But um, there's some really interesting, um, some really interesting happenings in Genesis 38. So look at Genesis Genesis 38, verse one. Uh, It came to pass at that time that Judah, so now that's who we're talking about, departed from his brothers, and he visited a certain Adumalite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he married her, and he went in to her. Uh, So she conceived, and she bore a son, and called his name Ur. Remember that. And then um, she conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived, verse 5, yet again, and bore a son and called his name Shelah. He was at Kazib when she bore him. And then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Let me uh, put these names on the board. I want you to get this story in case you have never heard this story. If you know this story... You're worried about me telling this story. I know you are, all right? So Judah, um, he marries um, Shua. And they have three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Okay? And Ur gets married to Tamar. These are the names that... You really want to remember these two names. All right, so um, Ur marries Tamar. That's the firstborn son. Um, verse 7, but, Judah's, uh, but Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. So he dies. All right, there is no offspring. What was very common in that culture was that if you died, if you were the son, a son, the oldest son, and you died, we needed to carry your line on. And so the next in line would step up and would marry your wife. But if they had children, you would be carrying on the first son's line, not your own. All right. So uh, that is that is what happens here. So Judah said to Onan, go in your brother, into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir, notice this, to your brother. 
So in other words, Onan, you're going you're gonna to father a child, but it's not really going to be yours. It's going to be the heir of your brother. We're trying to keep his line going. They wanted to keep the oldest son's line going. Verse 9, but Onan knew that the heir would not be his. So it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he emitted on the ground. In other words, he uh, did the withdrawal method, all right? And he, it, was, it was birth control. He did not want to have a son. And lest he should give an heir to his brother. I know you all can't believe I just said that, but just, yeah, I did. That's the story. And then in verse 10, the thing which he did displeased the Lord. And so therefore he killed Onan also. So now... Um, another one bites the dust, all right? Ur and Onan is dead. There is no child yet. And now if you're the father here, Judah, and you've had two sons marry this same woman and they both have dropped dead, you're going to be a little nervous about handing off your final son to this same woman, right? I mean, this is common sense. Um, So then Judah said to Tamar, he said, okay, listen, daughter-in-law, I want you to remain a widow in your father's house. Go home to your father, stay there a widow until my son Shelah is grown. For he said in his heart, lest he also die like his brothers. And so he just said, you've got to wait till he grows up and then you can marry him. But in his heart, he's thinking there is no way that I'm giving my third and final son to her. All right. Uh, and so Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Now, in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, um, Judah's wife uh, died, and um, Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shears at Timnah, he and his friend Hira and the, Ad- the Adulamite. This is actually Shua, Shua was not her name, it was Shua's daughter that he married, and she dies, all right? So now Judah is a widow, and uh, Tamar is a widower. And Ur and Onan are died. We've got Shelah left. We've got widow Judah and widower Tamar left. All right. So now he, he's, he's a widow. He wants to be comforted. So he takes a little vacation. And um, verse 12, he goes up to the sheep shears at Timnah. He and his friend Hira, the, Ad- the Adulamite. Now, Tamar finds out and says, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear the sheep. So somebody tell, tips off Tamar that since her father-in-law is single, he's going on this little vacation and tells her exactly where he is going. So she takes, verse 14, her widow's garments and, and she takes them off. She covers herself with a veil, wraps herself, and sits down in an open place, which was on the way to Timnah. So she runs ahead of him, and she dresses up. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she wasn't going to get him. She knew what was going on here. He, I, my father-in-law is not going to give him to me. So... Um, Verse 15, and when Judah saw her, she sits up there in the middle of the the, the square. And when Judah sees her, he thinks she's a prostitute or a harlot. And uh, because she had covered her face. So he turned to her by the way and said, please let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. 
So she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? I mean, you're going to have to pay for these services, obviously. And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. So she said, I mean, he had no goat with him. So she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? So we, what's your down payment that I can hold on to until I get the goat back or you bring the goat to me? And he said, what pledge shall I give you? And she said, give me your signet. That would be your ring and your cord and your staff that's in your hand. And then he, he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. As the world turns, is that not what this is? Or the guiding light or search for tomorrow or the young and the restless. I don't know. But, and you're scared that I know all those names. I know. But anyway, so, so Tamar knows that she's being ripped off. She's not going to get Shella. She dresses up like a prostitute and Judah's lonely. He's a widow and he goes into her and he promised, he gives her a ring, cord, staff, promises her that he's going to bring a kid back, a goat, to pay for those services. She says, fine, give me that stuff. Goes into her and she becomes pregnant. Um, verse 19. So she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and she put on her garments. And she goes, she goes back home and puts on the garments of being a widow. And so Judah sends a servant with the goats by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, he wants to get his cord, his ring, and his staff back. So he sends the goat. He says, listen, this little village there, this corner, there's this prostitute that sets up. And she's got my stuff. Trade her the goat. Get my, bring my stuff back. So the, the servant goes, verse 21, and he asked the men of that place saying, where is the harlot? Who was openly by the roadside. And they said, well, there's no harlot here. I mean, can you imagine the servant? I got to go tell my boss <laughs> that uh, there was no prostitute here. So um, he returns to Judah, verse 22, and said, I can't find her. And the men of the place said there was no harlot in that place. And then Judah said, well, just let her take those for himself. We don't want to be shamed here. And uh, because I sent this young goat and you haven't found her. So we'll just, we'll just hope this doesn't. Let's bury this thing and we'll do a cover up and everything will be good. But it came to pass about three months after that, Judah finds out that his daughter-in-law has played the harlot. She's been a prostitute and she is with child by harlotry. And look at Mr. Righteous Judah. He says, bring her out and let her be burned. So he finds out that she has sinned and been a prostitute, and now she's pregnant, and he is ready to put it to her. Bring her out. Let's stone her. Let's burn her. Um, verse 25. So when she's brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, Please determine whose these are, the signet, the cord, and the staff. She said, That's fine. But uh, I'm pregnant by the man who these things belong to. Now, if in fact it was Judah, which I think it was, holding up a torn coat with blood all over it to his father Jacob saying, who do these belong to? Um, is it not true that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap? Because now she holds up a ring, a staff, and a cord 
It says, you can, you can judge me if you want, but first, let's find out who these belong to. Um, verse 26, Judah acknowledged them and said, she's been more righteous than I because I did not give to her Shalom, my son. He never knew her again. There was no relationship, no intimacy with her again. It came to pass um, at the time for giving birth that twins were in her womb. So when she was giving birth, the one that put out his hand and the midwife, or one put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand, saying this one came out first. It happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through this breach be upon you? Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his mother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand and his name was called Zerah. What a, what a messy story. And um, reaping what you have sown. Kind of the epitome of sinfulness in man's, uh, man's flesh. But if you flip over to Matthew chapter 1, why don't you do that? I'd like for you to see this with your own eyes. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1 and verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. And Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. We won't have to read the rest of it. Where sin abounds, is it not true? God's grace does much more abound. Isn't that an amazing, amazing, what, what the, the epitome of sinfulness and flesh and lust and adultery. And, and yet somehow God turned that around and placed in the genealogy of his son, a woman by the name of Tamar who played a harlot, a cheating, messed up father-in-law Judah, and the offspring of that connection are in the genealogy of the Savior of humanity. Um, there is no sin too grave that God cannot forgive and restore. And there is no hole so deep that God's grace is not deeper still. Aren't you thankful for that? And so it's really, it, it's, it's a seedy story. But, and as I have said over and over as I've taught Old Testament Let's not sanitize the Old Testament so much that we miss the grace of God. If you sanitize it and you make Jacob out to be an angel and, and Abraham and Isaac, these perfect characters, you miss that God uses normal, messed up, jacked up people. But he does. That's the story. The, the heroes are not Jacob and Isaac and Judah. Heroes, God. God can take our mess and restore it. So let's move on. Enough of that story. That's That's... The worst it gets. And Kyle gets to teach this tonight. He's excited about Genesis 38, telling that story, I'm sure. Um, now we get to back to Joseph. And, and Joseph is now sold into slavery. We're in Genesis 39, uh, verse 2. The Lord is with Joseph, and he was successful in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master, Potiphar, that is, saw that the Lord was with him. And the Lord made everything he did prosper. And so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And then he was so good as a slave that he made him overseer 
of the entire house and put everything under his authority. So Joseph is blessed as a slave. And he's just a young man. We're talking now 17, 18 years old. But he works hard. He, whatever his hands found to do, he did it with all of his might. God blessed him. But there was this woman in the house, Potiphar's wife, who became attracted to Joseph. Verse 7, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. Um, And he has committed all that he has into my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness? And notice, he, he saw it as sin against God. It would be a sin against God for him to, to be with her. But she continued to pursue him day after day. She continued to, to uh, approach him. And there was this one fateful day that she came after him. And he ran and she hung on to his coat, the cloak. What is it about Joseph and coats, right? I mean, it, 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 there's something there. She hangs on to his coat. And um, when Potiphar comes home, she, she throws Joseph under the bus. And she says, listen, that young servant of yours tried to rape me. And when I ran him out of the house, he ran so fast that he left his coat here. And so in verse number 19, um, Potiphar was angry. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. So now Joseph has these great dreams. He goes from the dream to the pit, from the pit to the household where he has prospered. So from the pit to prosperity, but now from prosperity to prison. But he's blessed in prison. Uh, Verse number 21, the Lord is with Joseph and shows him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hands all the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. So, so Joseph, Joseph's just, he is that guy that wherever he lands, he's going to give it his all. And he does. And he gives it his all in the prison. And before long, he is so blessed and so obviously standing out beyond all the other prisoners that the, the, the manager of the prison says, we're going to put you in charge. You're, you're the steward of the prison. You, you're going to be the one that, that manages this place. And so now Joseph has been exalted again. So he has these big dreams, sold into slavery after the pit, prospers, thrown into prison, but now he prospers again. God keeps blessing him. So we get to chapter 40. Um, and there's the butler and the baker. All right. Uh, came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king offended their lord, the king of Egypt. So they get thrown into prison. They were as angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker, and he puts them in the custody of the house of the captain on the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. So this one day, there's two new residents in the prison. It's Pharaoh's butler and Pharaoh's baker. Who's in charge of the prison? It's Joseph. So he shows them where their little place is and, and, and tells them what time the meal is and you know, gives them all the uh, orientation to their new home in the prison. Um, But they both have dreams while they're there. Verse 9. 
The chief butler told his dream to Joseph. And he said to him, Behold, in my dream, there was a vine in front of me. And in the vine, there were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. And within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me, Joseph said, when it's well with you. Please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. And so the butler has this dream and he says, what does it mean? And Joseph says, it means that in three days you get your old job back. And so when you get your old job back, put in a good word for me. Please remember me and do anything you can to get me out of this mess. Now, I, I don't know how you feel, but I feel sorry for the baker in this story because the baker, the baker hears this dream that the butler has, and it's good news. Three days and I get out. And the baker says, oh, me too. I've got a dream. Let me tell you my dream. And so the baker in verse number 16 um, says, when the chief baker saw that the, the interpretation was good, he said, I also was in my dream. And, and there were three white baskets on my head. The uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. I think I would have known then that this might not have been a good dream. But Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. And within three days, Pharaoh is going to lift your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat your flesh from you. That's a bad day. You understand that, right? When you get the interpretation of that dream... I wish I would not have asked. I'm sure that's how the baker felt. I came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday. He made a feast and he lifted up the head of the chief butler. That is, he brought him back and the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the butler to the butlership and he placed the cup in his hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted. Now look at verse 23. But the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. He gave him this great interpretation. And the last words he said were, please remember me. Please get me out of this mess. Remember me. But he did not remember him. So Joseph continues to hang out in prison. um, And we get to chapter 41. Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And in Pharaoh's dream, verse 2, this is full two years later, according to verse 1. Uh, there, his dream, there comes up out of the river seven cows. They're fine looking in fats. They fed in the meadows. Then there's seven other cows. They came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt. And they stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and the gaunt cows ate up the seven fine looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh woke, he slept and dreamed a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. And behold, seven thin heads blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump ones. And so Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Um, We won't read all of this, but he brings all of his astrologers and all of his wise men together and says, I need you guys to interpret this dream for me. And none of them could. They had no clue what it was. And then finally the butler, oh yeah, just dawned on him. Two years later, two years later, oh yeah, I'm supposed to tell you something. There is this guy down in the prison. Uh, Joseph, and uh, 
Let me tell you his story. He interpreted my dream and came to pass. And he interpreted the dream for the baker and it came to pass. And so uh, let's go get him. So Joseph comes and um, he interprets the dream. Here's what he says. You probably know the story. Um, first of all, he, he says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams. And he is very quick to say, I depend on God. If you look at 41.16, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And, and we won't take time to read it, but it, again, if you know the story, um, he says to Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen in Egypt. Uh, there's going to be a famine. It's going to be it's going to be a huge famine. It's going to be beyond Egypt, and but but it's going to happen after seven really good years. We're going to have seven of the best years ever, and then there's going to be seven of the worst years ever. And, and Joseph says, if you really want my input here, Pharaoh, what I would suggest you should do is we ought to store up food during the seven good years, so that when the seven bad years come, we have we have food. And um, Pharaoh says, that's a great idea. And I think you're just the guy for the job. So he puts, so now, all right, Joseph dreams, tells his brother, they hate him, throw him in a pit, sell him into slavery. He prospers in slavery. He gets falsely accused, gets thrown into prison. He interprets dreams because he does everything he's supposed to and God blesses him. He gets forgotten in prison and now he's exalted again. And now he's second in the kingdom of Egypt in charge of managing the resources during the good years and the bad years. Chapter 41 and verse 50, um, while he's there, he has two sons uh, before the years of the famine. Um, And he called the name of the firstborn, verse 51, Manasseh, love this, which means the Lord has caused me to forget all my toil in my father's house. Um, God's able to help us forget and forgive our hurts. And he names his son a name that means the Lord has caused me to forget. And the name of the second is called Ephraim. God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. That's, that's the God that we serve. He is able to make us forget our pain and make us fruitful in the land of our affliction. So the famine hits all the continents. It's over the face of the earth, verse 56 of chapter 41. And Joseph opened up all the storehouses and he sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So countries, all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. We get to chapter 42. And the famine has reached Canaan. And uh, Jacob says, guys, we, he says to his sons, we're about out of food. We can't, we can't look at the ground. We're not going to be able to grow anything. There's no rain. I hear there's food um, in Egypt. Chapter 42 Um, let's just read the first four verses, chapter 42. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do we look at one another? He said, indeed, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, lest some calamity fall on him. So he sends the 10 older brothers and uh, he says to them, um, you go get his food in Egypt. But he didn't send Benjamin because he was afraid he would die. Uh, chapter 42, and uh, 
verse 7. So they get to Egypt and, and they walk in and there's this man who's controlling the resources of the kingdom. He's dressed like an Egyptian. Um, he is um, clean-shaven like an Egyptian, not what they had remembered their brother to be at 17. So they didn't recognize Joseph. But Joseph saw his brothers and he recognized them. But he, he acted as a stranger to them and he spoke roughly to them. And he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. But again, he recognized them, but uh, they didn't recognize him. Um, Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. But he said to them, you're spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. But Joseph has remembered the dreams. What were the dreams? That there would be a day coming that his brothers would need him. And he knows, he already knows, this is, this is the hand of God. And so um, he accuses them to be spies. He asks them a lot of questions. And in the, in the process of questions, they tell him about Benjamin. And um, he says to them, I, I won't believe that you have a younger brother. And they kind of give a sob story. Our father's old and, and he's already lost one son and he's got this younger son that he doesn't want to lose. And, and um, he said, I, I'm not going to believe you until I see that younger son. Well, they knew. No way dad's going to let Benjamin come. He's not... We already lost Joseph. He's not going to let us lose Benjamin. And so he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw you all in prison. You're all going to stay in prison here. One of you has got to go back and get Benjamin. So he threw them all in prison for three days. And then he brings them out and uh, he changes his mind. He said, I'm going to keep one of you in prison and the rest of you go back. I'll fill up your sacks with food. The rest of you go back and I I want you, you've got one brother hanging out here. And uh, you, you come back and bring Benjamin and you can, you can get your brother back. Um, notice the dispute. Look at chapter 42, verse 21. The brothers say to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. We saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress, in other words, this distress has come upon us. Because of what we did to Joseph. They now are feeling the heat. This is our own fault. And Reuben answered them saying, did I not, here we go. Did I, did I not speak to you saying, don't sin against the boy and you wouldn't listen. This is an I told you so moment. Reuben said, I told you guys not to hurt him. And now look what's happened. Uh, but they did not know that Joseph, they're doing this in front of Joseph. They, he, you know, they think he only speaks their, his Egyptian language. He understands every word they're saying and they're arguing and they're pointing the fingers. And I mean, these are big burly men. They're probably shoving each other. And, and Joseph's watching all of this in front of him. I told you this would happen, Reuben said. But they didn't know Joseph understood him for he spoke to them through an interpreter. And, and he turned himself away from them and he wept. And then he returned to them and he talked with them. And he takes Simeon from them and he bounds him in front of their eyes. And then he sends him home and Simeon stays. Um, But Joseph tells him, look at verse uh, 25, chapter 42. Uh, Joseph commands that their sacks get filled up with grain and put their money that they just paid for that food. Put it back in their bags, Joseph said, and give them provisions for their journey. Thus he did for them. 
So they loaded their donkeys with the grain. They departed from there. But when one of them, they had their first rest stop. And one of them opened their sack to give his donkey feed. And he saw his money. And there it was in the mouth of his sack. And he says, holy cow. Okay, maybe, maybe he didn't say that. But he said, oh my goodness. Um, my money has been restored. And there it is in my sack. And their hearts failed them and they were afraid saying, what has God done to us? They're going to find out we, we stole our money back. And um, they are just absolutely terrified. So they get back home with the food, with the money. And, and they report to their dad. They said, dad, they thought we were spies. And by the way, um, Simeon is still, he's still in jail back there. And Reuben begs Jacob. Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me. This is, I'm sorry, verse 36, chapter 42. You bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? You kidding me? All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father saying, you kill my two sons if I don't bring him back to you. Put him in my hands. I'll bring him back to you. But Jacob digs his heels in. My son will not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he's left alone. In other words, his, his only real brother that comes from Rachel is, is dead. Joseph's dead, and now Benjamin's left alone. If any calamity falls along the way in which you go, you would bring my gray hair, bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. It's not happening. So Jacob makes a decision to leave Simeon in jail. And he'll keep the other ten, including Benjamin, with him. But the famine grew worse. They ran out of food. Um, Judah promises that he will take care of Benjamin. And um, they take, so finally Jacob says, okay, um, I'll let you take him. And he loads up their sacks, double money, double presents. Got to do everything we can to get the Egyptian on our side. And they get back and um, they get back to Joseph and Benjamin meets Joseph. And uh, Joseph says, let's throw a big dinner. Again, they don't know this is Joseph. He's still talking through an interpreter. I love this. Let's, let's throw a big dinner. And, and so they have this big banquet room and all the Egyptian slaves sit at one table and um, all of Joseph's family, they just don't know they're his family, sit at another table. And Joseph has them seated by birth order. Now, that, that should have said to them, how does he know birth order here? But he seats them by birth order. And then he has the servants feed them, put food on their plate, but put extra on Benjamin's plate. Don't you love the way Joseph is playing with them? I think this is so cool. And so they, they, they fill up their plates, but Benjamin, I mean, mashed potatoes are loaded to the top of the plate, all right? Because that's his real brother, all right? That's the brother uh, that, that comes from his mother. And they have dinner, and he asks them questions about their father, and it's some moments. Chapter 44. Um, I want to read some of this. So he commands the steward of the house saying, fill the man's sacks with food. They're getting ready to go back as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. And then he says, also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the younger one in Benjamin's sack. 
So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. So he tells them, fill up their sacks, put their money back in their sacks, but take my diviner's cup, my silver cup, and you put it in Benjamin's sack. So um, the morning dawned, the men were sent away. They're heading back home. Simeon's out of prison. Everybody's going to go home. It all looks good. Uh, When they had gone out of the city, not far off, Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, verse 7, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants would do such a thing. Look, we brought back the money to you. We brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Here's the reply. With whomever of your servants it be found, let him die. And uh, we will be my Lord's slaves. So one of the brothers says, we know we didn't take it. You find it. And whoever it is, you kill that one, and the rest of us will be your slaves. And uh, he said to them, Now also let it be according to your words, He with whom it's found shall be my slave, but the rest of you shall be blameless. So each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest and left with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. You imagine the brothers at this point. (laughs) They tear their clothes. They're crying. They're weeping. Um, and uh, Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house and he was still there and they fell before him. They're begging him now. Verse 15, Joseph said, what deed have you done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? And Judah said, what can we say to you? What should we speak? How should we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But he said, Joseph said, far be it for me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he'll be my slave. The rest of you can go on home. He knows he's, he's got Benjamin. And Judas came near to him. He said, can I talk to you a second? And Judas says, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in your hearing. Don't let your anger burn against me. For you're even like Pharaoh. I mean, you're top dog. My Lord asked his servant, saying, You ask us, Joseph, do we have a father or brother? And we said to you, we have a father. He's an old man and a child of his old age who is young, and his brother is dead. He alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. We told you that. Judah's telling Joseph, we told you that. And then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad can't leave his father. If he should, his father would die. But you, you forced us. You said, unless the brother comes down, you won't see me again. So it was when we went to your servant, my father, that we told him the words. We told our dad what you said. And finally, our father said, go back and buy us a little food. We said, we can't go unless Benjamin goes with us. Uh, he told us we couldn't see him again. And your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one sent out from me, and I said, surely he is torn to pieces. So I've already lost one son. And and you understand, Joseph knows when they say that, they're talking about him. His dad's already lost one son. Um, But if you take, uh, verse 29, if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, you'll bring down my gray hair 
with sorrow to the grave. So now, therefore, when I come to my serv- your servant, my father, and we don't have Benjamin with us, his life is bound up in his little boy's life. It will happen when he sees that the lad's not with us, he'll die. So your servants will end up killing our father, basically, is what he said. So your servant became surety for the lad to my father. In other words, I said to my dad, if I don't bring him back to me, then I'll bear the blame. And so Judah says, please let your servant remain. Let me stay instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. Let the lad go with his brothers. For how can I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? So he tells him the whole story. We can't go back without Benjamin. Just take me. And and that's something Judah now, Judah, who's probably the one. See, that's why I think Judah's the one that messed up in chapter 38. He's the one that probably held the coat up in front of his dad and said, look in this Joseph's. And now Judah's saying, would you please just throw me in prison? Let them go home. I'm probably the one who has caused this whole mess. So then we get to chapter 45 and uh, verse 1. Joseph cannot restrain himself any longer. And uh, he said, get him out of here. Tells him to get out of the room. And uh, Joseph makes himself known to his brothers. Um, Verse 3 of chapter 45. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. My dad still live? His brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near, and he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting But God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he's made me a father to Pharaoh, the Lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. And then in verse 9, he says, go get my father. Say to him, thus your son Joseph, thus says your son Joseph, God's made me Lord of all Egypt, come down to me. Don't tarry. You will dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household uh, and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that is in my mouth that speaks, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So he says, go get my father and bring him here. And Pharaoh, he talks to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, we'd love to have him here. Go get him and bring him here. And so we get to chapter 46 and 47. And um, let's just read, look at verse 26 of chapter 46. So all the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt who came from his body besides Jacob's son's wives were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. All right. Now I'm going to pause for just a moment. We'll, we'll finish this story out pretty quickly, but I, I want you to, um, I want you to see, that all the way back in Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, 
I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to multiply your seed as the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. And in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, in your seed. Um, and remember, there was a promise of the seed in Genesis 3.15, seed that would uh, bruise or crush the head of Satan. So, of course, we get narrowed down to one seed, um, Isaac, and uh, then um, there is Jacob and Esau. And, of course, Esau goes his own way, and now we've had the family of Jacob. All these, all, all these years have passed, and 70 of them travel to Egypt, and they are blessed to live there, and they are, they are provided for. But it will be when we get to the end of chapter 50, uh, at the end of Genesis... Uh, when we get to Exodus chapter 1, actually, the story's over. We get to Exodus 1, 430 years, this, these 70 people will have stayed here. And they will have proliferated to thousands. They will have grown so large that obviously the new people in charge that didn't know Joseph are scared of them. And they make them slaves. And that's when God will finally send Moses to them to deliver them and bring them to the land of Canaan that was promised to them way back here in Genesis 12. Right? All of this is orchestrated by God. But right now, 70 people moved to Egypt and they settled. They settled in Goshen. They lived there as shepherds. We get to chapter 47 and verse 27, and Jacob is near death. Um, look at verse 29. When the time drew near that Israel must die, that's Jacob. He called his son Joseph and he said to him, If I found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt. Let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you've said. And then he said, swear to me, and he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Chapter 48, verse 1 through chapter 50, verse 14, um, is Jacob, as he passes or gets ready to pass, he blesses his family. He begins by blessing Joseph's sons in chapter 48. And then he blesses his own sons in chapter 49, Look at chapter 49 and uh, verse 8. Chapter 49 and verse 8. Um, as he's blessing his sons, he puts his hand on Judah. Judah's the, Judah's the one that we've been talking about. He, he's the one that probably was the instigator in getting rid of Joseph. He was the one that cheated Tamar and then, and then um, took her as a prostitute. But he says to him, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Judah, by the way, means praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He's, he lies down as a lion and as a lion who shall rouse him. The scepter will not depart from you, Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, or the Messiah, comes. 
and he shall be the obedience to his people. So um, this is the promise that the king, the Messiah, is going to come out of the tribe of Judah. I think you know this, but when we get all the way to Revelation, Revelation, and it's chapter 5, John sees the throne, and he sees the one seated on the throne, and he's holding the, the, the scroll that's sealed with seven seals. And John wants those seven seals open, and nobody is found worthy to open those seals. And John says, I wept much. And then one of the angels says to John, John, don't weep. For behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to loose the seals thereof. And so uh, this, this theme goes all the, all the way back to Genesis 3.15. There's going to be a seed. And we're only at the end of Genesis. When you get all the way out here to Revelation, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah that prevails. And so that obviously is Christ the Messiah. So um, he blesses. He blesses all of his sons, and then Jacob passes. Uh, Verse 33 of chapter 49, when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, and he breathed his last, and uh, he was gathered to his people. And then um, the conclusion of the Joseph narrative happens in chapter 50, uh, verses 15 through 26. Let's read that, and then we will uh, wrap up with just a few comments. Uh, Chapter 50 and verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, um, they said, perhaps now Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did. In other words, they thought as long as dad's alive, maybe he's being easy on us. But now that he's dead, we're in trouble. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your fathers and their sin. Um, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of, of the God of your father. And let me just stop there. I, he probably didn't even say that. You know, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't think Jacob said, hey, make sure you tell your brother Joseph to forgive you. Jacob would have told Joseph that when he had him by the bed. But they're just, they're doing anything they can. And so they go to him, they send messengers and say, hey, by the way, if he forgot to tell you, dad said to us, for you not to be mad at us and hurt us afterwards. Um, Is it human nature, just human nature? It it always is the same. We're always trying to care for ourselves. And and Joseph wept when they spoke to him, and his brothers also went and fell down before his face. Again, remember the dreams, and, and, and said, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, a lot of maturity, by the way, since that 17 year old that said, hey, look at my dreams, a lot of maturity. Joseph said, don't be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to serve many people. Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation, the children of Mechur, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up to Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I'm dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land. Here's the promise. You're not going to stay here forever. 
and to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And by the way, when they leave, when they leave Egypt and they head toward Canaan, they are carrying the bones of Joseph. And Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Just a, a couple of concluding thoughts. Um, this text, this narrative is full of dream and killers of the dream. Uh, the dreams seem nullified. He had those great dreams. It seemed, by chapter 37 and 30, chapter 37, verse 36, it seems like the dream is over. The 17-year-old who had these big dreams is shipped away to Egyptian slavery. Uh, Jacob believes the dream is dead. He sees, he sees the cloak of his son. The brothers believe that the threat of the dream is over. We finally got rid of the dreamer. So without the dream, there would be no Joseph narrative. The brothers without a dream would feel that, uh, would have comfort. Uh, but for Jacob without a dream, for the, for the brothers without the dream, there would be no comfort and trouble. For Jacob without the dream, there would be no loss or grief. But the main character, again, I'll go back to this and I'll be done. The main character of this entire story uh, is the giver of the dream. It's Yahweh. It's God. Um, he superintends all. He is hidden. That's why we call this the hidden call of God. He's hidden behind the scenes, but very active. And folks, just always remember, it may feel like he's hidden in your life, but he is active in your life behind the scenes. It, he is no respecter of persons. And if he would do it for a bunch of messed up folks like this, he does it for us as well. All right. Any questions? or comments. Uh, We made it through Genesis, and I think we only took a couple extra weeks than we originally thought, but that's all right. Anybody with any questions or comments? It's been amazing those brothers lived with that guilt all their lives. All their lives. All their lives they had. Yep. And in front of Joseph, you could tell, in front of Joseph. Yep. They were arguing right there about it. So you know that the, the guilt had been with them. How many times do you think they had themselves dreams of that day when they heard him screaming as they carried him away? And uh, so, but God restores them as well. So it, it's an amazing, an amazing story. Anybody else? All right. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you, see you Sunday morning.